0: The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast, in association with EY, building a better working world.
1: Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. In this episode, I'm talking to Kieran Medler and Kino Sullivan, a professional services firm BDO, about its sports advisory unit, which helps elite sports people and entertainers with their tax planning. Kieran is head of the tax and sports unit at BDO, which he established for the firm in 2005. He's also chairman of League of Ireland champions Shamrock Rovers. Keane, meanwhile, will be better known to you as a former Dublin GAA senior footballer. He retired from the sport in June, having made his debut for Dublin in 2009, winning a bag full of medals with the record breaking team in the intervening years. Chartered accountant by training, Keane joined BDO earlier this summer and is a tax director with the firm you'll hear Kieran and Keane talk in detail about the work they do for clients, the financial hit of the pandemic on sports, and how Brexit has meant Irish teenage footballers need to look further afield for a professional contract. Keane also gives me his thoughts on the future of the Dublin GAA team following their defeat to Mayo in the All-Ireland semi-final, and his tip for this weekend's other semi-final between Kerry and Tyrone. Now Kieran Medler, welcome to Inside Business. Uh, perhaps you could just he up by just profiling uh, BDO for us. Just let us know a little bit about BDO and uh, the size and nature of what you do in your sports unit.
2: Hey, good morning, Ciarán. Uh, yeah, good to be with you this morning. Yeah, BDO is, is a full suite accountancy and advisory practice uh, employing about 500 people here in the island of Ireland. So we provide all the usual uh, accountancy services. And within that, our tax group is particularly strong. We have uh, over 80 people on the tax side. Uh, contributing uh, a significant uh, proportion to the actual business of, of the firm. But we are very ambitious plans over the next number of years to double the size of the practice and that extends to the tax practice. And within that, we've invested in some senior people recently across a variety of, of, of tax heads, including transfer pricing, financial services, employment tax, VAT. And within the private client group, which, which I head up, I'm delighted to say, Keno Sullivan has joined us in the last month. Uh, to come and work with me and within our private client team we advise what you would expect to see and there are a lot of professionals lawyers doctors and um, new money and old family money as well So we we a lot of uh, high net worth individuals we would advise but we've built over the last 20 years which is quite unique for our business uh, a sports and entertainment practice advising many of Ireland's leading sports uh, professionals clubs NGOs um, uh, and and um, on all aspects of their business affairs, under financial and tax affairs. So within that, we're trying to grow that, double that as well as the rest of the practice. And Keane was an ideal fit for us because of his academic background and to be able to bring into into our mix, I suppose, his knowledge of, of living inside an, an elite sporting environment over the last 10 years. i mean, very successful at it because it marries exactly with us, the type of clients we're working with. He will understand them in a different way than I understand them. So it's a, it's a real addition for us.
1: So tell us just a little bit, of maybe you can give us a bit more detail about who exactly you advise um, go on give us some names <laughs>
2: <laughs> well as you'd expect as a professional advisory firm one of our key things is, is being discreet as our clients would expect but the people we we, we work people uh, across a number of sports primarily in the world of soccer, uh, rugby boxing and golf that would be our key areas we also advise Olympians, we also advise jockeys, we also advise a lot of entertainers from actors through to actual uh, authors uh, and, and, and writers so it's uh, of plays it, so it's what the actual advice we would give to sports people and entertainment people is very very similar because of the nature of the profile of income they would have. And um, but we've been very lucky over the last number of years to 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 build over eighty sports clients in our practice, and we worked most of Ireland's leading sports professionals and and, and clubs. Right. Okay. Uh, you have been linked in the past with Rory McIlroy, so I'll just uh, I, I'll
1: throw that one out there anyway. You can rebut it if you like, and um, maybe Keen will will come to you. I mean, your sporting CV is. Second to none, I would say. Eight All-Ireland uh, Senior Football Championship medals, 11 lancers, six National Leagues, uh, a Leinster under-21, an All-Ireland club, and various uh, club awards as well, and three All-Stars. Uh, pretty impressive uh, CV. You retired from the Dublin panel in June of this year, which I think was around the same time as you joined BDO. I don't know if that's coincidence or uh, perhaps a, a neat symmetry there. Um, but... Was he, what attracted you to BDO? Thanks, Kieran, and it's great to
0: join you uh, here today. Um, so, yeah, look, I was very privileged to have been part of such a successful team. And, um, you know, all the while my professional career in tax was motoring along, and um, an opportunity arose uh, to join uh, the growing team here in, in BDO and uh, the private client tax spaces, which is where my experience and expertise. Lies, and uh, I was well aware of the the firm, the team, um, very strong reputation in the market, and then added to that, as Kieran was explaining there, there is that niche space in the sports and entertainment uh, field that for me and my experiences um, in sport to date was a very natural and complementary fit um, so you know the role itself was was, was very attractive and then um, you know, getting to know BDO a little bit more was, was something I was eager to do as as part of that whole process and I would have spoken to a lot of people uh, within the firm and some people reached out to me within the firm and there was, you know, as things are at the moment, quite a few virtual coffees and uh, a couple of even socially distant ones and I got a, I got a feel for the, I guess, the culture of the firm and my sporting background um, has highlighted the the importance of that and again, Going on that journey, it was another really strong fit, so I'm um, delighted to have joined and, and really excited about the, the opportunity.
1: Obviously, you were operating in an amateur sport, and you're now going to be advising people who are making a significant living from, from sport or entertainment, whatever it might be. I just wonder, um, as an amateur sportsman, um, how did you juggle your career with the demands of being a member of the Dublin squad? I mean, how much time per week, let's say, would you have had to devote to your Dublin duties as opposed to your career.
0: Yeah, um I think the GPA did a very good study uh, in the recent past of the hours that are, are spent each week by intercounty GA players and it was quite staggering. I can't remember the figure off the top of my head, but you know, it's not it's not just the two or three hours you spend in the evening training. It's it's all the other stuff on top of that. It's the travel time, it's the visiting the physios and sores and doing your rehab and your active rehab, going for swims and and um, all that stuff and it all really adds up to a pretty heavy time sink um, but that is uniform across the playing population and any team that's vying for success has to uh, accept that and know that there are these demands on the players and work with that and uh, Jim Gavin used to give a great analogy of you know that you've got three crystal balls that you have to keep juggling and you know one is your either your career and your studies the other is football and the other is um your family and social life. So, we're all in the same boat trying to do that. You develop great skills, I guess, in, in doing that. Knowing how to um, park things when you're coming to training, not be carrying a tough day from work into training that might disrupt your performance on the training pitch. Knowing when it's time to really spend uh, quality time with your family and friends, which often took a hit. So, great learnings from it all, but um, it was just. It was just something we had to be good at. Uh, and, and amateur sports people just have to be good at that.
1: But if you were to add it up in your head, how many hours a week do you reckon? If I was to add it up in my head, I would say there's probably between thirty and forty, if not more. I mean it's essentially a working week, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. I would like you know, you're you I'd be leaving the office at five in the evening to get out to training, uh, not home till maybe half nine or ten. Um so you know, there's travel time added into that. There's the actual training time. Then there's meetings after training. Then there's maybe the recovery that you're trying to nip in on the way home. You're going to go down to Sea Point and grab a quick swim or something like that. So uh, then you have all the opposition analysis, and all the strength and conditioning stuff that you do, the active rehab that has really taken to the fore over the last number of years um, you might be spending in, in the a week game, an hour or two a day looking at the opposition and getting ready for, for, for the game at the weekend. So, um, yeah, a heavy, heavy time commitment.
1: And Keen, in June, when you announced your retirement, you said that essentially your body had given up on you. You just weren't able to kind of meet the standards of the past. But I, I wonder whether in the back of your head um, the need to sort of prioritise your career had also uh, come to the fore a bit. You, you realised that maybe perhaps this was the time to do it. Um, It definitely was a a body
0: um, type um, decision, Um, I've I've been struggling, probably injuries have been a feature of my career um, since I started really Uh, but particularly in the last two years I just couldn't get it right uh, despite making big efforts to do the same and um, BDO um, were aware of my my plans uh, when I joined to um, try and contribute this year to, to the team's success and um, were fully supportive of that and backing me to do that, but um, unfortunately my body just gave out in the end. So um, it was it was pretty down to that. Now, obviously, as you progress in your professional career, you're, you're more demands and more responsibility, and you're probably taking your job home with you a little bit more than you are earlier in your career. That probably adds into the mix, and you know maybe GAA players finish up playing a little earlier than most other uh, sports people because uh, of that reason.
1: Um, because other than that, it is it is a professional setup in every other sense. Kieran, can I ask you about the pandemic and how it's impacting on your clients? Uh, we've seen the effect of it, if you like, on the big football clubs in Europe and look at the debt that Barcelona has run up and uh, they weren't able to hold on to Messi, who's now gone to PSG. I'm just wondering, obviously, you're you know a lot of your football um, clients not in the legal line, and messy, but uh, I'm sure they've been impacted by the pandemic. Um, and you you've rugby clients as well, um, the RFU have been implementing um, uh, cuts and, and reductions in pay and so forth, haven't they? So, yeah. how have you how have you helped them deal with that?
2: Well, we we, we uh, work with a lot of the representative bodies. A video uh, advised uh, rugby players Ireland last year as part of the negotiations with the RFU uh, uh, to to address the issues they were facing as part of the pandemic. So, first of all, there was some salary reductions which were for a short period of time but it was most of them most players in in, in soccer and in rugby would have um their salaries were still of a level that, that they were able to manage it where they felt the pinch i suppose is on the commercial side which where commercial activity has, has, has ground to a halt or it's only getting going again so over the last 18 months it's been very very slow so people the opportunities for either sponsorship or appearing at events has fallen away so that's something that has to be replaced and obviously there's a lot of players who need to replace that type of income in, in a relatively short period of time soccer players tend less to get less involved in that uh, certainly the Irish players playing in the UK that the opportunities they don't tend to get involved as much as the commercial side of it for our, our club clients both uh, we work with Leinster Rugby and, and uh, some of the League of Ireland clubs that they will have obviously felt at the gate receipt side of that uh, and um, that has been just falling away. So the government supports and supports for some of the uh, the agencies have been really welcome and have helped alleviate that. And hopefully we're coming up the far side of it now. Like I mean, this week we've three and a half thousand at a European game in Shamrock Rovers, and and we've got to we see what's happening in Crow Park over the last two weekends. So hopefully we're we're starting to come out of it, which which will replace that. And that money will flow down because the more games, the more gate receipts, the more commercial income the, the bodies will receive, and that will flow down to the players ultimately as well. So hopefully we're near the end of it.
1: Yeah, I should say, Kieran, you you're uh, chairman of Sherman Rovers, aren't you? So you'll have a keen eye yeah. on that florida Tallinn
2: game in Talla. Massive game tomorrow night. like So uh, we're, we're two goals down after the game last week. So. But, I mean, for all League of Ireland clubs, Europe has gone well this year as far as they've been m- more competitive and the coefficients will rise for everyone. But to get to the group stages is a financial game change for any League of Ireland club. So it'll be massive for us to get through and hopefully we'll do that because it, it allows us to accelerate our own plans for, for, the, for growth and the strategy for developing players and, 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 and the club going forward.
1: Yeah, my Rovers find myself Kieran on, so I'm hoping they do get through to the group stage. But just tell me, how much money would flow to Rovers if they do make group stage?
2: Well, this is public information. I mean, overall, it, 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 between qualification and getting to group stage, it, it, for the conference league level, it's, it's 2.9 million is the gross figure that will be received. But that, that's broken down. And there's quite a bit of cost in that, so it's not quite as exact as that. But that's the level of money compared to, I suppose, winning the League of Ireland. It's it's, 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 it's closer to 100,000. So that's the gap. I mean, it's just a, it's a different world if you can manage to progress in Europe.
1: Yeah, it's a huge gap. How much of that money would actually flow down to the players or the backroom staff?
2: <laughs> You're negotiating now, aren't are uh, That's that's that has to be, obviously we've a lot of costs and a lot of losses built up over the last last year as well. So unfortunately, it's not that straightforward. There there are discussions that are obviously very private. So.
1: Yeah, sure, but I mean, there you know the the players will get bonuses, won't they? Yes, they will right, from from moving through various yeah. um, uh, various uh, scenarios. I'm just wondering, it doesn't have to be about Rovers. I mean, we've seen Dundalk make uh, a lot of money out of Europe. In in recent seasons, I'm just wondering how much of the money actually ends up going to the club uh, at the end of the day. How much extra income does the club get to kind of spend on maybe infrastructure or academy or, you know, other elements, marketing or whatever?
2: Yeah, it's significant because on top of the actual UEFA share of the money, there are significant commercial opportunities, broadcasting revenues. On top of that, that actually kick in when you get to group stages. It moves it to a different level, and and apart from what's paid within the club, that does go back into the club system, either the plug holes that are there, are, are to, as you say, to invest in infrastructure, or the next generation of players. And that's that's the hope for League of Ireland that we'll have to regularly compete at the next level in Europe, which will be group stages and conference and Europa League levels, to allow that money come back into the game here in Ireland. Because the, the appetite for the, the League of Ireland game has grown significantly in the last, I'd say, twenty four months. I'd say less so because people aren't at games, and you know it's it's players are staying here longer. I think if we get the infrastructure right, I think it's a real chance to make progress.
1: What impact has Brexit had on the movement of young players uh, to Britain? What are, what are the rules now, Kieran? And what are you saying to young players uh, in
2: terms of how they develop their careers? Well, I think that, that advice would tend to come more from the agents than the suspended advisor. We would work with them on it. I think the actual the opportunities to go to the UK will diminish over time. I think I think players will start looking further afield in Europe. But in my own opinion, I think players will stay in Ireland longer, which helps our domestically develop further at, at the local level and then move abroad after that. I think you see that no more players are going to the European leagues than had had in the past. I think that's a trend that's going to develop further because it's the easier of movement with with the UK moving out of, of uh, the EU. But uh, so I think that's the pattern we're going to see, and it's starting to evolve already.
1: Keen if an elite sports person comes to you looking for some tax advice, what are the key areas that you cover with them? Yeah, so like my expertise and experience is in
0: private client tax planning um, and it's no different for, um, you know, the elite sports people. Um, I guess the only difference is their earnings are front loaded earlier in their career. So we're trying to put the structures and foundations in place that post-playing career when they hang up their boots, um, you know, they're their money is a, is is taken care of um, and uh, invested wisely. And, um, you know, the things we'd be looking at is investing the money tax efficiently, um, you know, passing money on to the next generation uh, in an efficient manner. Um, I guess with the sports people, there is the added dimension of dealing with image rights and, and commercial deals. So we have a strong expertise in that area and the way the tax... Practice industry has gone. Is a lot of specialisms have evolved, and specialisms in, or indeed, tax credits and transfer pricing, and um, you know, customs and stamp duty. Um, the private client space still requires you to be more of a generalist. Um, and I remember describing it previously as as knowing a little about a lot, and was correct, quickly corrected into saying that it's it's knowing a lot about a lot. So we see ourselves adopting that kind of quarterback type role where you're dealing with solicitors you're dealing with banks you need a good broad commercial um, interest and, and, and acumen to knit all those things together so that's really where where we come in and where we can really add value to to those clients
2: yeah. I think one of the other things we do Kieran on as well is is, is help players transition to the next phase of their lives so so our planning is very much long term we start planning post-career from day one with them so you're building that wealth it's less of an issue for the soccer players who are playing at the higher levels of the uk where the wealth is there they have challenges to try and reinvent themselves in some way but it's not a financial pressure whereas you see with the 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 rugby players ga players olympians clearly they need to have some post-career plan in place and that's tricky as well because you're at an age where you're obviously 12 or 13 years older than your peers that you're going into work in in an office space um, so that's, that's a bit of time we spent, I know the associations there, the PFAI and the, the Rugby Players Association will help them, but there's also a piece that we can help them on the business, maybe help them get placed either with BDO or with some of our clients to get some experience around that as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, there is a generous um, tax break regime as well, isn't there, for domestic based yeah. uh, professional sports people?
2: Yeah, it's been excellent. It's been in place since 2002 and it's worked really well in some sports and less so in other sports, but rugby is, I suppose, the prime example where we've managed to keep our elite players here in Ireland. It combined with, I suppose, the, the, the RFU centralising the contest for international players. But it has been a real factor in keeping our stars playing here every week, and it, it's been very successful. In, in soccer, clearly, in Ireland, domestic soccer, the money's not there. It's still available to our professional soccer players, but it's not as uh, impactful, I guess, for post-career planning. But it will be for the likes boxers, some of the jockeys, some of the, the golfers who are resident here, and certainly the rugby players is the one that's, that's led the way.
1: How would salaries vary between, let's say, professional rugby and professional soccer? let's say an Irish player playing in the Premier League and we don't have any playing for the top six so I mean they're, they're playing outside of well maybe Matt already with Tottenham but uh, they're mostly playing outside the, the top six uh, how would their salaries compare with let's say you know a top player with Leinster or Munster it's
2: a, it's a, it's a, it's a multiple to be honest with you I mean it's it, it, it we have a number of players at the top end of the Premier League with less than we would have had in the past it's a handful but at that level I mean it's 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 probably four or five times what the, the elite players here in Ireland would earn you know if not more Um. It is a massive gap.
1: And young players, you know, we hear lots of stories. I don't know if they're true or not, but we hear lots of stories of young players in Ireland, teenagers being offered uh, fantastic contracts, multi-million euro uh, potentially contracts from English clubs, Troy Parrott being an example. Um, Is that true? Is that kind of money being offered to young players to go to England?
2: Yeah, it it is. uh, If they're at that elite elite level where you would get a contract to go and play with one of the beer clubs, that money is there. But what tends to happen is they tend to be short-term contracts, and oftentimes, as you've seen with players, uh, well they go, they go out and loan very quickly. So the advice you give to those type players is totally different. That it's, You have to plan for the basis that this is your last contract as well as your first contract and build it from then and hopefully over the next uh, 10 years to build and grow that beyond that. But there are significant amounts of money thrown at very young players. And, and it's, that's where the importance of having a good agent beside them, the, the importance of their family input into it and, and then building a professional team around you that's going to be there with you for the next 20 years not just the next few years is very, very important because... I mean, they're very a guy at eighteen years of age having a significant amount of money needs a bit of support. He needs to enjoy a bit of the money, clearly, but it needs to have some supports around him to ensure that it's when he wakes up the other side of it. If that's in three or thirteen years' time, that just cash there for him.
0: At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients,
1: enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Kim, we mentioned that GAA is, is amateur. I presume you'd probably like to see it stay amateur. There's a lot of money um, swilling around in GA coffers, obviously, or certainly was pre-pandemic. And um, there, there have been some suggestions that maybe it should go uh, professional, but there are commercial opportunities, aren't there, for the, the top players in hurling and football? Um, and I'm just wondering whether any of those players come to the likes of a BDO just for some advice on how to structure contracts or or how to plan tax-wise?
0: Yeah, it,
1: it's it's a very
0: small pill, and it's an opportunity that is not probably going to set up um, the player financially for for the remaining days, but if there's certainly significant commercial opportunities in the short term there for um some players and I know I would have dealt with some of them um in the past me, me not personally here um but um you, you reference that it is an amateur game and whether it would go um professional at some point um I, the, the sums don't don't stack up for that and um regardless of that I don't think um Well, I certainly wouldn't want to see that uh, be introduced. There has been talk of some sort of um, support in terms of grants or uh, tax credits being introduced. And we spoke previously there about the sports person's relief and how valuable that has been and how impactful that has been. And I think... Something along the lines of um, some kind of tax credit or some uh, grant scheme for uh, intercounty players would be very welcomed. Um, you know, you look at the contribution they make to the exchequer um, in terms of that receipts and the spin-off economy from GAA, and it is a very large contribution. So um, I think there's, there's justifiable grounds there for um, some kind of support measures being introduced over, and it has been referenced in the past, but for one reason or another and recessions coming in they've they've never really taken off.
1: Yeah, you were a talented footballer. I just wondered did you ever get an opportunity let's say uh, for Aussie Rules or did you ever think about a professional career in, in soccer or rugby? Did I, was that ever on your horizon? Uh, I got offered a trial in Aussie Rules and I remember speaking to the manager at
0: the time and um exploring that opportunity and uh, I actually didn't I didn't go for the trial um And I was going and starting my um, undergraduate in business and legal studies in in UCD at the time. And um, taking a trip, well, depending on how the trial went, but taking a trip over to Australia and spending a couple of years there with no guarantee of success or a lucrative contract um, wasn't as attractive as uh, I might have initially looked. uh, When I sat down and thought about it, a lot of players go over and it doesn't, work out for them. Unfortunately, you really hear about the players that it does work out for and they have fantastic careers but uh, I felt, um, you know, my my opportunities really lay here in Ireland and it wasn't something I was ever really um, considered seriously.
1: Kieran, can I just ask you about the pandemic and what long-term impact it might have on the financing of uh, sport, particularly in Ireland? Is this something that we're just going to have to weather for a couple of years, for example, the RFU or will it be all right once we get you know, full houses back into the
2: Aviva and full houses back into Croke Park. I uh, know. I think there's probably a period of, re- of realignment that it will take a number of years. I think to get back up, up and running. Even, even with the wealth of the RFU and, and the GAA, the, the impact of not having crowds is massive. I mean people attending games is, is a key part of the financing of it. So there will be a longer term impact, but, it, but and, and government funding may be slower on capital projects because of the need to plug holes elsewhere. So that will slow it down. Unfortunately, it probably slows it down by a year, maybe two years of this. Then. But I think once the crowds get back in and some sort of normality comes back in, commercial partners will want to be involved with elite sport because it is high profile. It is a great return on it. Um, I know BDO, we sponsored Leicester Rugby for over 11 years now. And it's been fantastic for us just to have a profile and I get to work with Leicester Rugby as, as their business advisors. But it's, I, I think um, it will get back, but we are in a stalling process for two years.
1: What's the key piece of advice, let's say, for a Leicester Rugby player that you would offer?
2: Um, I think the key piece of advice is always to have an eye on the future, right? So, so, so particularly in rugby where the, the attrition rate for injury is, is probably higher than other sports. Always look at that next stage and always go training. And Leicester Rugby have been very good, as, as have the other provinces, in encouraging, uh, in addition to their professional rugby career, also having an education, going hand in hand with it. Um, and having something to fall back on, and that's going into soccer as well. Thankfully as well, I know GA do similar. But I think to to a lesser rugby player, I think it's always look beyond that. Post retirement, what's the, the 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 readjustment? And the retirement relief will help you buy a bit of time to retrain yourself for a year or two, and and just look at the next phase. But um, I think that's the key piece that's come through.
1: Kieran, in terms of the of Ireland, you were involved in a plan, weren't you, to by Kieran Lucid. Um, to try and uh, rejuvenate the league uh, yeah. and scale it up uh, and make it a bit more lucrative for the clubs and uh, and so forth. Um, that plan, I, I think the plan originally was to have that up and running by, by this year. That obviously didn't happen. And I know the pandemic came along, there was opposition from the FAI. But where does that stand? Is it still live? Is it is it, is it still an ambition occurrence to try and progress that?
2: Yeah, I, I'm not directly involved at in now be, uh, because I was part of his advisory group, and and Kieran Lucid did f- f- phenomenal work on a pro bono basis to pull this together. His research uh, uh, into what would work and what wouldn't work on it was exceptional. So he would inv- he would engage with UEFA, who helped who introduced to, to a company called Hypercube, who've done a, a real analysis of it, and that that work is ongoing between Hypercube, UEFA, and the national leagues, uh, North and South, to see if the how feasible that is. There was a lot of buy-in from the clubs because they saw the commercial opportunities for it. It's it's not without complication because of the cross border piece to it. So, but I think um, if UEFA if they resolved, actually introduced, I think it has a real chance. So it hasn't gone away. It's just it's bubbling under. Clearly, COVID has actually stalled it um, for a period of time, but it's still working away in the background. Uh, and in the meantime, the, the leagues keep going as they are. I think the final model they had, which was seemed to make sense, that the national leagues in both jurisdictions would re- would remain, and then it be brought together at to the end to have a, a sort of a, an interesting competition, which which would actually lead to. I well suppose increased European space, but also increased commercial and fan revenue.
1: The Shamrock Rovers Academy, how's that going? And I, I'm just wondering, I mean, that, that was set up to uh, offer an opportunity for young players to stay at home and um, and take the, the first steps in a professional career in Ireland. And we know about Gavin Bizzunu. Um He went off to Man City uh, there a couple, of, a couple of years ago, and he, he's doing very well. He's been capped by Ireland now. I'm just wondering how that's uh, progressing a few years on from when it was first established. And, you know, is it realistic to expect uh, a League of Ireland club to be able to provide that platform for young players uh, to pursue a professional career?
2: I think it is. I think other clubs have actually seen what's been put in place and and, and are trying to replicate it, which is encouraging because the standard of the underage uh, national leagues will actually rise as a result of that. Uh, before my time in Sharon there was an investment made by the members, by, made by Ray Wilson uh, and made by Dermot Desmond In more recent times to actually fund that academy. And a huge amount of work has gone in between Shane Robinson at the academy level and Stephen Bradley and his team at the first team level to help develop that talent. But the, the, the quality that's there is actually very, very strong for, for boys and girls that are coming through. And that will continue that investment. And it has paid, Gavin is one prime example is to come through the academy and move across and others will go later. I think the actual quality of training they're getting uh, both at first team and academy level, is, we, we'll make sure that the quality is there to go to, to higher end clubs in the UK and beyond.
1: Karen, in terms of revenues and this sports unit, how much of BDO's overall
2: revenue is it driving? Well, in the private client group, it generates about 40%, which is quite high of our private client income. So we are unique in having the BDO professional sports unit, which is, uh, is unique amongst our, our peers. But we've been at it for 20 years. We've been very lucky to work with some of the elite players and, 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 and professionals in the space. We we see huge opportunity to grow this in sports and entertainment sector, and as I said at the outset, we're delighted to have Keen on board to add an extra string to our bow to actually help me develop that. Uh, he understands elite sports people in a different way than I do, as I said. So I think it's a real chance for us to grow it beyond that. And I mean, we have the the expertise of working with him around the commercial rights, image rights, post career planning. You know, so I think we can just roll that out to to um, and grow it beyond where we're at at the moment.
1: And on a on a broader level, how? Um How's it going for BDO? I mean, are you positive about the Irish economy going forward uh, following the, the hit of the pandemic?
2: Yeah, I think there was a realignment for all professional services firms and our clients over the, uh, in the initial period of COVID, but it settled down quite quickly and people got back to looking at the opportunities in the market space. So we're, we're now back, you know, as I say, in a growth mode, we're trying to double the size of the practice and we'll be confident we can do that and help our clients get through it. There will be rocky patches for some clients, uh, obviously, over the next 12 months as as, as they try to get back up and running, but I, I'd be, I would be very confident for the Irish economy will get back. Yeah,
1: Keane, I have to ask you about uh, Dublin. Uh, no joy mm-hmm. in the All Ireland semi final against Mayo. What went wrong? Um, yeah, uh, that's that's a difficult
0: question. I think there's a lot been talked about what went wrong, and um, difficult for me to pinpoint exactly what it was. Um, you know, there's so many different variables that feed into that answer. Um, one thing I am sure is that. You know everyone's hurting um, team and ex-players which I put myself in the bracket of now uh, after that defeat but you know when I look back on the last 10 years it was, it was the two defeats uh, that we had that were the real key turning points and we took some fantastic learnings and we had really strong growth um, from those experiences and I expect once the dust settles over the coming months and the team regroups um, that they'll be flipping this into an opportunity and uh, they'll definitely be back stronger and better next year.
1: Yeah, everybody's writing them off, but you, you think they, they'll they actually they'll bounce back? Yeah, I'd be very confident
0: that they, they bounce back. Yeah, you look at the, the calibre of players, you know, the secret sauce to our team over the last couple of years was was the talent that was there but um, you know that's that's obvious but it was also the culture that was was formed within the group and the types of leaders that we had, management and players driving that and keeping a check on it and a lot of those leaders are still hanging around um, you know um, it's been rhetoric is that they've gone past and some of those have left and some of those leaders have but there was a very strong base of emerging leaders there that I'm going to take that mantle over and have very big confidence that they'll re-steer the ship.
1: What was it like working under Jim Gavin?
0: Yeah, it was great. Um, you know, Jim was a fantastic operator. Um, I think he always had the trust um, of the player, player group. Um, and I look back on, you know, the three managers that I operated under, Jim, Pat and, and, and Desi, um, that's one thing that um, they had in spades. Everyone knew um that they could be tr- were tr- trusted to be making the best decisions in the interest of the team there was no personal agenda um and that just really helped um form a really strong base for for the team and the types of um the types of relationships we had with players and management um and again he was he was very, very, very um, comprehensive in his preparation and planning. Um, and these are all skills that are rubbed off and the players that uh, play, played under under him and, um, you know, factored into
1: our success but are things that we can take with us away uh,
0: to our professional careers and other walks of life.
1: Yeah, and uh, we've obviously got the all Ireland semi-final between Kerry and, and Tyrone coming up. Who do you fancy? I, I don't know. To be honest, uh, it's a tough one to call.
0: Um We'll see how Tyrone bounce back from um, the impact that they had from the COVID outbreak and whether there's any lingering effects of that. Um, They've probably had a more difficult path to date to this semi-final and probably a bit better prepared than Kerry might be. Kerry have had a long break between their last game and this game. You know... Will that have any impact? I'm not sure. Um, certainly Kerry were the all-guns-blazing um, all at attack team from their earlier performances in the year and the team to, to keep an eye on. Um, so I think it will. It'll be a very hotly contested um, game and I think there, whoever wins after that for the final um, will be another uh, belter of a game.
1: So I think we've two really
0: good competitive games in
1: store uh, over the next couple of weeks. I'm watching the Dubs in the semi-final. Just wondering, were you itching to get out? Were you itching to rip the shirt off and put the jersey on and get out there and try and give them a dig out? Yeah, I guess it was still it's still like a couple of weeks
0: after I'd i um, decided to to walk away from the team. So um, still going through that that process of, of of leaving the team, and you know that it was like a second family to me for. You know, whatever it was 12 or 13 years that I was I was there and once you're gone you're gone it's a cliff edge you know so um yeah I would would love to have been out. that was certainly the plan at the start of the year to get the body right so that I could contribute on the pitch Uh certainly would have loved to have been able to do that but uh the body was in no position to do that so that decision to walk away was kind of made for me and was made a lot easier um it also helped that I can have no regrets about the efforts that I made in the last two years to get that right. Um, so seeing the team go out in the big day was was made a little easier to to, to take, and not be in there. Um, had it maybe been otherwise, if I if I hadn't exhausted all those
2: opportunities.
1: Giron, you mentioned Olympians. Um, there, I presume some um some Olympic athletes are, are probably clients of yours. Um, the Olympics, uh, generally speaking, comes around every four years. Not this time, obviously, with the pandemic. Uh, but. You know, Irish Olympians are in the spotlight for three or four weeks uh, and then the spotlight moves on to something else and we, we don't talk about them again. Funding has uh, has come up since the end of the Olympics. Um, there's a focus now on funding and whether we're funding um, our Olympic uh, sports correctly um, and how do athletes actually, you know, how do they go from Olympics to Olympics, uh, etc. Uh, any, any thoughts on that? Um, because there was a little yeah. bit of disappointment, I think, in terms of the medal count that came from... Um, that came from Tokyo and and also the fact that in some sports like athletics we're really not having any impact anymore.
2: Yeah, I think it's a real problem there at the moment. We, we do act for a number of Olympians and as someone who was one of the athletes who was there on the athletics side of it and the question they were asking themselves was can they afford to continue to go to the next Olympics which is a, a real problem because they're in elite talent but the funding they get centrally is very, very small because it, it's, it's, probably, it's very much underfunded so they are scrapping around to try and train and make a living and as they get older to try and build a life for themselves it becomes really a challenge for them. On the other side, where we have made success and boxing, particularly in rowing, you've always made a lot of success. There is investment, but I think Kelly Harrington has a real chance to actually help us develop that over a longer term for us because she's she's really been taking, people are listening to what she has to say and she's very much about putting something back into the community, building something in boxing. I saw some commentators saying, it's great talking about boxing once every couple of years and saying you're great and all the rest, I mean, forget about them for four years, but... The real test will be actually investing in local communities, bringing the next level of talent through and giving the opportunity, because that's not happening at the moment. And it's, it's sad to see that someone who could be a medal contender in four or eight years' time or just, just can't afford to stay involved in it. It's just, it's, just, it's just wrong when they have their talent. We should be getting behind them, as other countries have done. So to, to answer your question, they're definitely underfunded. And, and because they may be spreading a bit too thinly, I think we need to invest in the, in the real talent at uh, the higher, higher end of it to give them a real chance to be medal contenders next time round.
1: Yeah, mind you, Kelly might go pro, of course, um, which I don't think that rules her out at the next Olympics. But you know, you're you're stepping into a different sphere, aren't you?
2: Yeah, it's a different decision. Even if she does that, and I have no idea what she's going to do, but it 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 is. Um, I think she has a role to play in, in telling that tale and helping that funding become in place because people will listen to her as an Olympic gold medalist now, and, and I think she's she's been an advocate of putting that money into the local communities and building the boxing clubs and building the sport at the training level. So I think, so irrespective of our personal decision, I think she's a real chance to help us with that.
1: And I guess the reality is, Ireland's a small market, elite sports people, if they want to compete on the highest level in a lot of sports, most sports, um, let's face it, they have to go abroad, don't they?
2: Yeah, and, and you see that, obviously, certain sports are more international by their nature, such as golf, and, and if you want to make real money in football, the elite soccer players will ultimately end end up playing outside of Ireland because there's the higher level of leagues and higher remuneration. Um so th- that does happen and that will continue to happen because the market here is, is fine that the rugby players are an oddity in that for the reasons I've said earlier on that there is a reason for them to stay here. And the international I think the RFU's policy of, of having the internationals on the island of Ireland is actually working to keep them here as well.
1: Keane, any uh, advice for people who might be coming elite people who might be coming to the end of their sports career in terms of transitioning from sports to, you know another life your private life your civil life if you like
0: yeah I, I, I think if you're
1: coming towards the end of your career and you're only having those um, discussions with
0: yourself or thoughts at that stage you know you're probably a little bit late to, to the planning um, you know the career the earning potential is very much front loaded so from day one you um, need to be thinking about that um, when you do hang up your boots in your, your mid 30s and have plans in place um, as to how you're going to transition from your professional sports career uh, into um, your after professional sports career. I um, see a lot of guys you know, managing to do um, their undergrads while playing professional sports um, and I know UCD are very accommodating and allowing people to complete their degrees over the course of five or six years where it might otherwise be three years. So um, having those plans in place will um, really pay off uh, once you do finish. There's still going to be um, a massive black hole or vacuum there that's going to be left to be filled um, and personally, what I found um, in the last number of weeks is i've had a lot more time to to spend with family and friends that you know i hadn't previously. Uh, had the opportunity to, and I've really relished that. And um, you know, I've a young daughter who's, who's, who's 16 months at this stage now, so we've got away to on holidays for a couple of weeks that I wouldn't have been able to do if if I was still playing football with the Dubs. So, uh, taking advantage of those opportunities, enjoying them, and in time, um, I think I'm going to dust off the golf clubs. Or um, a lot of my friends are playing this new sport, Paddle, so I'm going to try and uh, give that a go as well. And. Uh, see where it
1: takes me. Yeah, well, after the dubs defeat to Mayo, you probably would have had the time actually. But uh, I take I take your point. Um, and Kieran, we might uh, close with you. Um, I, I just like a, a prediction for the Rovers Flora talon game.
2: Are they going to do it? I am confident. Yeah, I think I, I think the performance last week was a couple of defensive lapses and they, they punish us. I think I think Rovers will score tomorrow night. So I would be confident that we can go through. I think we we could win at three 0 That's my prediction.
1: And can I just ask you, just in terms of um, the coming, let's say, five to ten years, what is the plan for Rovers, uh, just in terms of growing the club?
2: Well, I think it's it, obviously to be competitive in, in, in the domestic league, but the real challenge is to try and, and grow financially through the European model and try and build a team that's, that's regularly competing at, 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 in the big competitions in Europe and to reinvest that in, like, in, in the next generation. I mean, it's to grow the academy and re- rise the level of the club both from within and then across, across the European competition, and to be consistently competing, a lot, hopefully along with other League of Ireland clubs
1: as well, that we'll be there together. Okay, well, listen, we wish uh, Rovers well in that journey. Uh, Kieran Medler and Kino Sullivan, thank you for joining Inside Business. Thanks, Kieran. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Kieran Medler and Kino Sullivan. Thanks also to our sponsor, EY, for its continued support. The show was produced by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Ciarán Hancock. Until next time, take care.